going to try something. I've never done this before. We're going to try to go verse by verse through the book of Colossians. It's a short book, but in the first service, we only made it through the first verse. So on that pace, you can come back in two years and we'll still be in Colossians. So uh, we're just going to do the best that we can. I don't know if I'll make it beyond the first verse with you guys either. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, the phrase that stuck out to me in that verse was by the will of God. First, this idea of the will of God is something that we talk about a pretty good bit here. I don't know what hearing that phrase, I don't know what comes to your mind. I think it's freighted for most people. For some, maybe it's this detailed blueprint for your life and you're waiting upon that. It might be something that comes wrapped up in a supernatural experience, you know, the burning bush with Moses or an angel appearing in a dream like uh, with Mary, something very clear and awe-inspiring where God is going to say, this is the road, walk in it, you're not going to have any doubts, and it's music playing in the background, and all of that's what's going to be happening for you. And and for other people, hearing the phrase, the will of God, just makes them feel bad. We talk about it a lot, and maybe it's something where you've wrestled and struggled, and you want to know, and you don't know, or maybe you don't want to know, but you think you should know. And there's this tension that can float around in our hearts surrounding this concept. And I want to spend a little time digging into it, not a ton, but a little time digging into it. I think a helpful distinction is to make between the general will of God and the personal will of God. The general will of God, that's his desires, his plans, his purposes for everybody. That's what he wants for everybody, regardless of where you live or how old you are. None of that, all of those factors are irrelevant. And it's all found right here. If you can read, then you can find, discover, discern, the general will of God, because it's all, it's all in here. Usually, particularly in the New Testament, it takes the form of commands. Forgive. That's the will of God. If somebody wrongs you, you don't need to say, well, God, do I need to forgive them? He's already said, forgive. So that's what you do. Love your enemies. It's the general will of God for all of us. If somebody wrongs you, if there's someone who you don't like, if someone's even opposing you, you don't need to spend a lot of time wondering about how you should get back at them or if God wants you to stick it to them. And so, No, he says, love them. You don't need to spend any time on that. You might need to figure out exactly what that looks like, but you don't need to wonder, what does God want me to do? The general will of God gets you a long way down the road. If that's all you know, you're going to be okay the vast majority of the time. But there are times, and I think this is where most of us wrestle, with the personal will of God, which is, what do you want from me? How does this, how does this fit with this? With the things that you're, what are you specifically calling me to? Do I say yes? Do I say no? Is it her or is it her? Is it this job or is it that job? That stuff is not in here. You can read this till you're blue in the, and you're not going to find the name of your wife unless her name is Gomer. It's not in here. It's not, and you can read. So what do you do? The personal will of God is usually communicated through the Holy Spirit, either directly to us, maybe you have a thought or an impression while you're praying, Um, something comes into your mind, you say, wow, that's smarter than me. It's probably the Lord. You have an idea that's not something you could have come up with. Sometimes you'll feel peace. We'll talk about that more, I guess, next week. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through the body. Those are the two main ways, either directly to you or through the body. There are times when you'll be reading the Bible and a particular verse jumps out at you. God holds some cards close to the vest. I think he 
knows us, and he knows if he gave us the full deal up front, we would say, thanks a lot, we'll see you when we die. And we would just kind of be on our way with life. And that's, that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for an intimate, dependent relationship. And I think he keeps us on a pretty short lease. I don't trust anybody that says, I know I've got, I've got the next 10 years. I don't trust that. I don't think God works that way. I think he keeps us close because he wants us to stay connected. He's the source of life. And if he gave us the next five years or ten years in advance, most of us would have a tendency to disconnect from him and go run off and do our own thing. And we, we call to him when we, when we were in trouble. But that's not the kind of relationship he's looking for. He's looking for intimate. He's looking for consistent. He's looking for dependent. And so he keeps some cards close. Now, the personal will of God will always complement the general will of God. If you're a married couple and you're physically able, you should have children. You don't need to ask. Be fruitful and multiply. If you're a married couple and you're able to have children, you don't need to spend any time saying, God, should we have kids? Now, it doesn't tell you how many to have. You go with the Old Testament pattern, you're going to have like 45, <laughs> which is easy for me to say because I'm a man, and I don't, I don't bear any of the brunt of that. But it's not in here. It doesn't say when. Do we wait... A year or two years, is it when we reach a certain level of stability in our life or a certain income level or when this I graduate? That, that's not in the Bible. The general will of God, if you're a married couple and you're physically able, have children. The personal will of God, how many for y'all? And for y'all, how does that work? You've got to ask him about all of those things and he'll show you, but they're always going to complement one another. A couple of things you can do, and this I think everybody's here. I think everybody's here regularly. I don't think this is something where at one point in your life you're really searching and trying to discern and discover what's God's personal will for me, and then you get it and you go. Again, I think he keeps us on a short leash, so I think this is a regular posture for everyone who's serious about following Jesus. If you're serious about following after him, walking after him, I think you're going to find yourself here. To me, it's multiple times a year that you're going to find yourself saying, God, what's next? What's your, might not always be a major decision, but you're saying, God, what's next for us? What's next for me? I got the general deal, but what's the specific thing for us? How do we need to be obedient? How do I need to be obedient in this issue today? Three things, I think, postures of your heart that you can uh, cultivate that will help you hear the Lord, which is really all you're doing. We've said before, God determines, God decides, we discern, and we discover. So he's got it worked out. We just got to figure out, okay, what's happening? I do think he plays his card, keeps his cards close, but I don't think he's trying to hide anything from us. He just wants us to stay in relationship with him. The first thing I would say is trust. Romans 12.2 says that God's will is good, it's beneficial, it's pleasing, it conforms to his character, and it's perfect. It doesn't lack anything. Going into this whole idea of asking God, what is your will for me? What is this personal will that you have for me? If you don't trust him, you won't hear anything from him. Some of us, we want to say, well, show me the goods first, and, then I, and that's not how he works. He wants to know up front, do you trust me? Yes or no? Do you trust that his will is good and pleasing and perfect? And unless you're willing, unless you can say yes to that, it's going to be very difficult for you to ever discern where he's calling you to go. His will is, for some of you, hear this. Perfect, not lacking in anything. It's not lacking in anything financially. It's not lacking in anything relationally. It's not lacking in anything in terms of your 
family. It's not lacking in anything in terms of provision. It's not lacking anything in terms of fulfillment. It's perfect. Perfect. And until you can say, going in, not knowing what it is, I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be pleasing. And I know it's going to be perfect. It's going to be very difficult for you ever to discern what his will is. You need to trust him as your father moving forward. Second thing, rest. This is Isaiah 46. Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. Hold that over here. And this is James 4. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. While you don't even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. You hear the contrast between those two. God, this eternal rock, us, this temporary mist or vapor. God, what I decide, that's what I do. Us, you can't even figure out tomorrow. But how many of us trust ourselves to get things done more than we trust the Lord to get things done? Objective reality. He accomplishes his will. A lot of times we don't. We've got zero control over a large amount of our life. We live under the illusion that we're managing and controlling. But all of you have experienced things that let you know you're not. But we tend to forget those episodes and those experiences pretty quick. We put our hands back on the wheel pretty fast. If you're going to hear the Lord about what he wants for you, you've got to learn to rest in the fact that he accomplishes his purposes. Yes, he works through people. In that Isaiah passage, what the context is he's saying there's this, king, this kingdom of Babylon and he's about to overthrow it and he's going to call the bird of prey as a guy named Cyrus who's the king of Persia. And so he's using this Persian army to overthrow the Babylonians. He's not sending lightning bolts and a hailstorm to knock them out. He's working through people. But he's working through the people. Absolutely, we need to cooperate. But ultimately, we have to, it's a posture of rest that says, I can't make these things happen. And I'm going to rest in the fact that you can. It's easy to say, it's hard to live, especially if you're competent. If you're used to being able to orchestrate and manage, and initiate, and follow. If, if that's you, if you're a competent person, one of the most difficult things to do is to recognize you're incompetent when it comes to your life. That God is more competent than you. You say, this is the best way to walk, and he no, it's a long and windy road. But that's the straightest way. No, there's got to be a willingness in you and in me to rest. He accomplishes his purposes. We don't. The Bible says with God a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And you're saying, absolutely. It feels like a thousand years since he's done anything. How many times 
do I have to bring the same issue up? How hard is it to sell a house? How hard is, you know, these, these things that you're bringing to him? Is that really that difficult? No, it's not that difficult. But can you rest in the fact that he will accomplish his purposes? It doesn't mean you can just sit on your couch and watch Oprah all day, but it does mean that you're not pushing and striving and straining. You're resting in your heart, trusting him, not yourself. Again, if you're competent, that's very difficult to do long term. You have to constantly say to yourself, you know what, I'm not in charge of this. I'm not in control of this, and I'm not responsible for this. It's his will, not mine. So let him accomplish it. Third thing, submission. You've got to be willing to say yes even before you know what you're saying yes to. It's kind of the king and the servant thing. He's the king, we're the servants. It doesn't matter what he asks, the response is okay. It doesn't matter what he tells you to do, you just say all right. Thankfully for us, our king is also our father. And that's where that trust thing comes in that we talked about earlier. That's the most important. You've got to trust him. and You've got to trust that anything he asks you to do is going to be good, beneficial, pleasing, conforming to his character, and perfect, not lacking anything. Then you need to rest in the fact that he's going to accomplish it, and you need to know going in that you've already said yes. God does not give advice. He gives direction. Then he expects us to follow. Ephesians 5.17 says, Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The, we need to know. It's not this great mystery that no one can ever plumb or fathom. Paul says, know what the will of God is. Again, you can know most of it just by reading the Bible. And then for your personal, specific, individual life, you can get the rest of it by asking the Father. Speak to me through your spirit. John 10, Jesus says, my sheep will know my voice. If you're a Christian, you can hear God. You don't need to listen to through me or through anybody else. You can hear directly from him. And Jesus promises that you'll know his voice. You know it, you just don't trust that you know it. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. You see there that it's not just enough to know the will of God, we're expected to do it. This is kind of a weird passage, Luke 12. The servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, I don't know what blows are, but I don't want them. I don't want few and I don't want many. They're all bad. And you don't have to live under either of those. You get a few blows if you don't know what you're supposed to do and you mess up. You get a lot of blows if you know what you're supposed to do and you mess up. We're supposed to know. We just read that. Know the will of God. Don't be foolish. Don't be a fool. Know the will of God. And then you read there, if you know the will and you don't do it, you're going to get... Again, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm not in any hurry to figure that out. And we don't have to live there. You can know the will of God, and then the expectation is you, me, we will obey it. Again, God doesn't give advice. He doesn't give suggestions. It's not counsel. It's direction. He's telling us this is the way to walk. And the expectation is that we are then going to walk in it. And you have to, again, this is um, 98% on this. There may be, there will be a few exceptions. 
I have yet to meet them. You've got to say yes going in. You have to have already submitted yourself to whatever he said. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to allow your agenda to hijack his. Paul says don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's difficult to do. And unless you've already laid down whatever your agendas are, you're going to, you're going to push that. We talked a few weeks ago about how our ideal of just about anything gets in the way of the reality of what God wants to do. Our ideal of marriage will kill our real marriage. Our ideal of friendship will kill all of our real friendships. And our ideal of God's will for us will kill his true, real will for us. We'll allow the expectations and the, the fantasy world in our brain, and our mind, to dictate what we do. That's what you've got to go in saying yes to the reality of what you want me to do, God, not to the fantasy, the idealized version that I've created in my own head. So trust, rest, submission. You can cultivate those attitudes in your heart. It will go a long way to helping you hear the Lord. It's not magic formula, but it's a heart position that clears the clutter so he can speak to you. Because you've already said, I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to trust you to make it happen through me. I'm going to rest in that, and I'm going to trust that whatever you've asked me to do is good. So anyway, the will of God. Colossians 1.1, back there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. That word, by, kind of jumped out at me. Um, The agency through which Paul did all of his work, the will of God, or another way of saying that. God, all of the resources of heaven, are behind Paul when he's functioning as an apostle. So you think about that. It's not Paul, an apostle, by my education. It's not Paul, an apostle, by my connections. Paul, an apostle, by my experience. Paul, an apostle, because by the fact that Peter or James or John laid hands on me and said I was going to be an apostle. Paul, an apostle, by or through the will of God. There's a confidence, a freedom, a boldness, and a conviction that comes from knowing that whatever you're doing, you're doing by or through the will of God. And my prayer for all of us is that we could all say, fill in the blank for me, for you. This is who I am. This is what I do. By or through the will of God. It'll change your life if you can, I can get that. That's why we push so hard to discern and discover what our deals are because when you're doing that, when you're living that out, it's by and through the will of God. It's not by and through you, by and through your education or your experience or your connections or your ability, your strengths or your, it's none of that. It's by and through the will of God. You've got the resources of heaven behind you. Put, and then there's a passage, 2 Corinthians 10. Paul says this. He's arguing with these guys. There's a, apparently a group of people who are at the church in Corinth who are saying, you know what, we don't really like Paul. They're these super apostles, and we think they've got more going on, and so we're going to follow them. And so Paul is going back and forth with the church and saying, listen, I'm your, he's basically, he's not basically, flat out says, I'm your daddy. I'm the guy, I I started this church. Y'all owe your Christian life to my work here. So if I don't have anybody else, I've got you. And this is what he says in verse 10, 13, excuse me. 
We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. The picture that Paul is painting there is on an athletic field, there are these lanes that have been striped. And he's saying, that's the field assigned to me. It's this lane, and God has striped it, and everything in that lane is mine. And y'all are in that lane, and so you're mine. I'm responsible for you. And he's doing the same thing here with the Colossians. There's this freedom that he has to function as their apostle. He's never even been to this city. He's in jail. He didn't start this church. A guy named Epaphras started this church. It was one of his protégés. He's never been to Colossae as far as we know. And right now he's in jail. Epaphras comes to him and gives him a report. This is what's going on in Colossae. Every, all these things are good and we've got these parts that are shaky. And you know what Paul does? He writes him a letter. At some point we'll get into the letter. And you'll see he's... He hits them. He's not rude. He's not arrogant, but he is direct and straightforward. He gets in their kitchen on a lot of things. These are people he does not know, but he does know this. They're in his lane. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. He says it in Romans. He says it in Galatians. He says it in 1 Timothy. He has no doubt what his thing is, what his deal is, what God's personal will for him is, is to be an apostle to the Gentiles. This is a Gentile congregation it's, it's in his lane, and so he, he takes it advantage of that. He exercises his authority in a church that has never even seen him through a letter. That's boldness. That's conviction. That's freedom. That's confidence. And that's available to all of us. We say all the time, God has a race for us to run. I can't run yours. You can't run mine. But we absolutely have to run that, the, the race that God has laid out for us the field that God has assigned to you in that 2 Corinthians passage. And you need to run all the way to the edge and all the way to the end. All of that territory is yours. It's not just a sphere of influence, it's a sphere of authority. When you're running that race, when you're in that lane, when you're in the field that God has assigned to you, you're by and through the will of God. The resources of heaven are behind you. You're not functioning on your own at that point. It's a whole different way to live. And it's available to all of us. Same thing I want you to see about this whole idea of by. Again, it's, it's not an ideal situation. An apostle, theoretic, ideally, an apostle goes personally to a new area and introduces people to Jesus and starts a church. That's the way it's supposed to be. Paul's in jail. He can't go anywhere. But he plays the hand that he's been dealt. You've all played cards before. Probably not poker because you're Christians. You play Go Fish or Old Maid or something like that. And the, the object is the same, right? It doesn't, matter what, it doesn't matter what hand you've been dealt. The object is the same. To make the most matches or to get rid of the Old Maid or win the number of tricks or have the highest hand. It doesn't matter what hand, what cards you have. The object of the game remains the same. And it's true with following the Lord. The object of the game is always, I'm going to obey his will as much as I know. I'm going to follow after him as closely as I can. And sometimes you're going to have a sorry hand dealt to you. And what a lot of us do is we say, well, I'm going to fold. Can you deal me another? I don't think it works that way. I think he says, play what you've got. Paul is playing what he has. He's in jail, so he can't go person to person, so he writes a letter. He can't physically deliver the letter. 4.8, some guy named 
Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. So Paul can't go, so he finds someone who can. Someone who he trusts is probably a protege of his, and he sends him. He doesn't go pout in the corner. Well, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, and I'm stuck in jail. He doesn't do that. He finds another guy, and he sends a letter. I don't like to use personal examples too much, but here's, here's one. So it's May of 2000. I'm graduating from seminary in Lexington or Wilmore, Kentucky, and my wife and our little daughter were driving back in a U-Haul. And I'd spent that spring saying, you know, what am I supposed to do? What's next? What's next? And the church called and said, we want you to come on staff with us. Great. So I didn't look for any other jobs, which may or may not have been smart. I didn't apply anywhere else. They said, you've got this job. Come and take it. So we pull in to my parents' driveway. We're going to stay with them for a week or two until we can find a place to live. And the guy says, call me when you get in town. They were having a meeting the night before to finalize everything. So I call him, and he says, you need to come in. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to come in. There's going to be streamers and balloons and welcome to the office. And I come in, and he says, the whole thing blew up last night. You don't have a job. And I say, awesome. And then I spend, that's May, May, June, July, August, September, like a spoiled brat sucking my thumb. I don't like the cards that I've been given. And so I go pout in the corner. I don't try to find another job. I'm working at a hardware store, which is great. The guy gave me this job. It doesn't pay the bills, and I know it doesn't pay the bills, but I don't care because this is not, this is not what I signed up for, and I didn't do anything wrong. I don't like the cards that God gave me, and so I'm going to go pout about it. Now, I remember it was in September. Uh, the phone rang at the store, free cell phone, at least for me days. It was Misty. She said, I got you a job, uh, an interview at Mount Perrin Christian School, and you better get the job. Okay. So that's what I did. That kind of pulled me out of this spiral that I was in. It was selfish. It was petty. I was a bad husband. I was a bad father. I was a bad person for that five or six months because I didn't like the hand that I'd been dealt. And so I was going to pout until God gave me new cards. Towards the end of that, I started pulling out some and realizing this is, this is it. This is what I've got. And we started talking about some other things. And then over the course of the next couple of years, everything kind of came into focus. And I can look back and say, well, I can see why the Lord, how, that, how he used that. I don't think he caused any of those things, but how he used those things to refine and shape my character. And it can be a nice chapter in the book. But when we were doing it, it was terrible. And a lot of the reason it was terrible was my reaction to the circumstances. Again, I didn't like the hand. And so rather than trying to ask the Lord, well, how do I play these cards? I know what you've called me to. I know what your will is for us. But rather than trying to figure out how to play the cards that I've been dealt, I said, this doesn't look like this. I don't know how to win with this hand. So I'm just not going to play. You can't do that. This is my suspicion. You never get new cards until you learn how to play the ones you've got. That's how I think he works. You learn how to play those. We will pray for you to get new cards. We will pray for your circumstances to change. You don't like the hand you've been dealt relationally. You don't like the hand you've been dealt career-wise. You don't like the hand you've been dealt family-wise. You don't like the hand you've been dealt financially. We can pray about any of those things. Absolutely. And we can ask and we can believe and we can hope for God to give you new cards. If there's anything in us that we can do, we will help. But I think, often, he wants to see if you'll play what he's giving you. 
or play what you've been dealt, even if he's not the one that gave it to you. And then he'll give you something else. But you have to play the cards. It's what Paul did. He had a bad hand at this point in his life. He didn't go cry in the corner. He wrote a letter. He sent it through somebody else. You're not in jail. You have more freedom than that. You might feel like you've been hit in some area, and you probably have. And what I want to say to you is play the cards. Don't go pout in the corner. Don't go suck your thumb and whine and act like a brat and say, God, give me something else. It doesn't work that way. Figure out. Be creative. Take some initiative. Take some responsibility. God, I know what you've called me to. I don't see how these cards get me there. You gotta sh- but I'm going to play them because it's what I've got and see what he does. Let's pray. Elliot and uh, Harrison are going to close us with a ministry song. Just want a, a couple of things for you guys to think about as we close out. This front row um, will be open if you want to come and kneel and pray and spend some time with the Lord. Absolutely. If you want somebody to pray with you, we'd love the chance to do that. These are the things I'd encourage you to think about. One, trust, rest, submission. Where are you on those? Do you trust that his will for you is good and pleasing and perfect? Or do you wonder if your plan is better? Rest. Are you resting in the fact that he's going to accomplish his will? Or do you keep saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Submission. Are you willing to say yes before you know what you're saying yes to? Are you asking him to make you an offer? He doesn't do that. If you're someone who you know God's will for you, just the cards in your hand, they're not, they're not, it's not a royal flush. And maybe you've pulled out, you're sitting on the sidelines waiting for something to change. Would you today say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play what I've got the best I can? If you're going to hear the Lord, you've got to clean up what you're bringing in. If you don't trust him because you've been burned in the past, you've got to tell him that. If you can't rest because you think he works too slow, you need to tell him that. You need to clean those things up or you're never going to really be free to hear what he's saying to you for today and tomorrow. It's just, he, just You need to repent. Ask the Lord to heal your heart in those areas and we would love to pray with you about that. So I'm going to pray and then we'll go back into worship and Elliot will cut us loose when we're done. God, my prayer, and I think it's your prayer for everybody here, is that we could all say, I am blank by and through the will of God. And I'm doing blank by and through the will of God. And so my prayer, Lord, is that you begin to fill in the blanks for people who don't know. And those of us who do know, Lord, that you would give us courage to operate fully in the field that you've assigned to us. We would not be timid, we would not be scared, we would not pull back, and we absolutely would not gripe and complain. We play the cards that you've given us, trusting that you're the one that accomplishes your purposes, not us. In Jesus' name, amen.